Yeah, but you know what? They're 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 family. That bond with the touring crew is absolutely incredible. Look at Kenny Chesney's road crew. They are absolute family who take care of each other. They're excited to get there on the road. Kenny takes care of them. Everyone on that tour takes care of each other. And there's something that, that's just bonding about a group of people going all over the country, putting on music for everybody. And those, those, those road crew people know that their job is just as important as that person on the stage. Welcome to the Gary Scott Thomas Show. Here's what we know. The podcast with unexpected conversations. Listen each week as we engage in unscripted conversations where we'll be just as surprised as you will be with where the dialogue goes. So join us each week and be privy to the captivating conversations that are sure to ensue. Here's your host, Gary Scott Thomas. Welcome to the latest edition of Here's What We Know. And I've been trying to get this guy on my podcast forever, but it's hard to do it when you're the head knocker. When you're the head knocker, you got people to do and things to see and all that other kind of good stuff from Live Nation. I'm not even sure I know what your title is anymore because you'll always be the head knocker to me. You are the infamous Aaron Shuda. How are you, my friend? I am absolutely wonderful, and it's always good to hear your voice. You know, you know, I love you. Well, you know, you I love are. You back. Let me let me let me point this out. You are my first podcast, so welcome. You've welcome never to me on your first podcast. I've well, well, yeah, your first podcast. This is like my 80th episode. <laughs> You're a pro. Yeah, we all know. I have been doing this for a while now. It's been a fun experience because you know when you when you work on the radio, you do five ten, and and during COVID, we started expanding to fifteen minute interviews. Were really cool, but I tell you, I love the long form where you get to actually have a conversation and not have to worry about I got to get this next commercial break on or boy, I should be playing a song because people are tuning in yep. or tuning in just for the conversation. And uh, and and I've I've told you I've I've said this ever since I started this i've been saying when you have a minute come and come and do this with me because your job is so fascinating it's a wild one i'll I'll tell you that it's fun though i mean it's a really fun job and i know when you were you're in the introduction firm you're like i don't know what you actually do or what your title is so my my official title although head knocker sounds really nice is senior vice president of regional marketing for live nation for the u.s so basically that means all of the marketers across the country who work for Live Nation um, are part of my group that are responsible for getting the word out about shows in every city in the country. Can I ask how one gets a job like that? How I mean, you know, because people ask me all the time, how did you get into what you're doing? How do you get into that job? I actually got in in a really roundabout way. So I went to the University of Connecticut eons ago. And I was a finance major, but I loved music. I spent every dollar that I had on music. I was the guy that at the time would walk into the record store after school and just browse the CDs, the used CD bins, and I would just grab anything I possibly could with whatever money I had. And then I would go home and I would listen for hours to just albums in in their entirety. And I would go, oh, that one has three great tracks. This one has seven great tracks. And it wasn't just a hit. I would go into the deep tracks on them. And and listen to everything. And a couple of friends of mine would get together and we would just hang out and and play the music we liked and and talk about it and had a great time. So with my finance degree, I applied for a job at Sony Music in New York. And I was in Connecticut, so New York's not that far away. 
And uh, I was lucky enough that, you know, months after I applied for a job there, I got a call from their HR department saying, do you want to come in for an interview to be an accountant at Sony? So I was literally going in to count the money and deal with expenses uh, related to advertising albums at the time. So I went in and I went to the AT&T Clock Tower building. It was the the old AT&T building on 55th and Madison in New York. Really intimidating, huge marble building with this massive lobby. I go in, I do the interview. They offer me the job on the spot and said, you know, can you start in two weeks? So I, I started on my first day at Sony. I, I went up and there were platinum albums all over the walls. They brought me into a little office that I shared with somebody. I was getting paid peanuts to do this job. Like literally couldn't pay my rent with the money they were giving me, but I was in. And I was just in awe of like music being everywhere. People talking about Pearl Jam album releases and Rage Against the Machine albums and Neil Diamond's catalog. And I'm thinking this is the coolest thing in the world. And then they told me, hey, here's a perk of the job. Every month, we're going to give you a catalog of every album that we've got with Sony. That was Columbia Records, Epic Records, all the sub labels on, on Sony. You can pick out 30 CDs a month free. And we will just let you know when they're available in the basement in the shipping department. And you can go pick up your big sleeve of CDs. So as a guy that spent all of my money buying music, I'm going, wow, 30 CDs a month. I'll take the entire catalog of Bruce Springsteen, the entire catalog of Billy Joel, every album from Pink Floyd. And over the the time that I was there, I mean, I had thousands of CDs to the point that I started to make friends who worked for other record labels in New York. And we would trade. I would go, well, I already have the entire Pearl Jam catalog. If you want the catalog, I'll order it for you as long as you go order me your metal band catalog from across the street. And they'd be like, absolutely. So I started trading with friends. I just built up this massive, massive music collection. So after about two years of working at Sony, um, I started to think about, you know, how much I loved live music and how I really wanted to get into the live space. Because I loved recorded music, but, but being at a concert, there's absolutely nothing like it. So I called up one of the theaters that I used to go to in Connecticut to see shows and literally cold called, got the receptionist and said, are you hiring? And she sent me over to the marketing department of all places. Because at the time when I was doing finance at Sony, the things that I was covering were all of the ads that were placed for the albums. So all of the big display ads you saw on Tower Records and Virgin Megastores back in the day. I was seeing how much money was spent to to buy those and put them up and install them. I was dealing with expenses of, of, of record label reps going out to dinner with radio stations, all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I got on the phone with a marketing rep and they're like, well, what do you know about marketing? And I flubbed my way through that. I just faked it till I made it and told them that I knew some stuff. And they said, well, uh, shockingly, our marketing manager is quitting uh, and moving on to another job and just gave us her notice. So we have an opening as of right now. So I hightailed it from New York back to Connecticut, did an interview in person there, and they gave me the job doing promotions for concerts at two venues in Connecticut. And it was 20 years ago, 22 years ago. And I have just moved up from Connecticut to San Francisco to now the entire U.S. over the course of those years. 
Well, let's be clear. It's because you're very, very good at what you do. You're you're the best. And I I say that even though you you are my friend, but even if I I didn't know you from Adam's house, Scott, I know your work and you are the best. There's just nobody I've ever worked with who's ever better than what you do. And it it shows you don't, you don't have that meteoric rise. And let's be clear. It's meteoric. It really was in, in the terms of, of this show business area. It, it, It was amazing. Was it a big raise? When you went into marketing, leaving finance, or was it a pay cut? Nope. It was pretty much a parallel path when I went over to the concert side. I think it might have been like two grand more a year going over over to that. So still not enough to really pay the bills. But over time, as I jumped from job to job and went from manager to director and then moved out to San Francisco with a higher cost of living, um, I, you know, I, I, I did well for myself. This, this business is... You know this better than anybody. This business is all based on how you treat people. Yeah. And not just how you treat people in the industry. It's how you treat a fan. It's how you treat the random person on the street who asks you how your job is, what you do. And when their eyes light up and say, oh, my God, you work at Shoreline Amphitheater or the Fillmore in San Francisco? You are a representative of that brand, of that venue. And what you say matters. And being kind to people and listening to them and being excited about what they're talking about and making them feel like a human being is just it's good as a human being and it's good for business too. I mean, you, 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 you want to build those relationships so you can call somebody up and say, Hey, I need some help on something. And they go, I'll jump through fire for you. Not what have you done for me lately? Yeah, that's the hard, because the beautiful thing I always tell everybody is when somebody comes up and tells you like for me, you know, Hey, this thing you did, do you remember it? And I'm like, invariably, I rarely do because I've done Mm -hmm. so many shows, but I love the fact that they share that memory with them, that, that they've held onto that memory and they share it with me. And, and it's just such a, it's a wonderful moment you have. And you have to run the same thing that I do, that it's your personal, your public personality, your professional personality. You want to be just as giving and you want to be just as, I always try to be the easiest guy in the room to work with, but it also balances up that you do have to kind of stand up for yourself. That's a hard line to walk, isn't it? It is. It is. You have to defend the things that you believe in. And there's a lot of perceptions about what both of us do that people just don't really understand. And so sometimes you try to set the record straight and give people a, a deeper understanding of how your business works and why they may think things are a certain way, but they're not. And, you know, most people that I've talked to really appreciate that. And they walk away going, oh, I get it now. I get why that happens. Or I get why you do what you do. Or, you know, imagine someone comes up to me and says, I couldn't get great seats for that show. There's no way. Shoreline holds 22,000 people. How could I not get in the first 10 rows when I was online at 10 a.m.? And then you explain to them that, Actually, there were 150,000 people trying to buy tickets at the exact same time at 10 a.m. And when they all go in there, you know, it's it, 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 it's a first come, first serve kind of a thing. You're not always going to get the ticket that you want. And they go, oh, I had no idea that many people were interested in that show. Well, but yeah. To their, to their point, they just go, I couldn't get the ticket that I wanted. Well, everybody turns it personal, right? And I have to say that to pe- yes. people all the time. It's like, you know, when we do something, well, I couldn't get, I couldn't get this. I couldn't get that. And I'm like, okay, do you realize? I don't care who goes. I don't care. We don't care who goes. We want the people who want to go to go. But at the same token, people will be sent back. Hey, can you get me pick sold out show? Warrant Morgan Wallen tickets. Can you get me Morgan mm-hmm. Wallen tickets? It's like, no, why can't you? Because everybody wants to go. It only holds 22,000. Yeah, and guess what? 71,000 people want to go. And it only holds 22,000. 
in a perfect world, there would be enough tickets for everyone to go see the artists they want to see. So if Morgan Wallen came to Shoreline and there were 71,000 people who wanted to see Morgan Wallen, Morgan Wallen would play four nights at Shoreline and everyone would get a ticket. But the reality is he can't build his tour that way because he's got to book 30 other cities and figure out how he's getting there and bussing things around and doing his production. And at the same time, those 71,000 people don't just want to get in. Some of them want particular seats. I only want to sit in the reserved. I only want the lawn. So it's not that there's 71,000 people who will take whatever they can get for that show. There's a certain amount of people who want to sit in a certain spot. And once those seats are gone, they don't want them anymore. So you kind of just got to roll the dice and go, yeah, I think there's this many people who'd like to see it. I'm going to book one night. I'm going to book two nights. Sometimes you you win and it all sells out. And you're like, this is great. Sometimes you go, Man, there weren't as many people as I thought. And, and that's just the business. That's the way it works. See, that's why I've so been looking forward to getting you on the podcast because people don't understand the behind the scene things. And, and I, I know people love behind the scene. I love behind the scene things. I do. And when you start hearing about the business of it, that you don't think about it, you know, the first time I really learned, and it was years ago, well, you want to catch them when they're on their swing. Right. When you when they're coming to California or whatever region and then they're trying to book when an artist books Shoreline or Shoreline books an artist or or any venue, just take Shoreline out of it. But let's just say any venue, the the Hartford, the Hartford Harper Dome. I have no idea what what the Harper. Right. That'd be a good name. It's not the name, but still, that'd be a good one. But still. So they're going to that. What happens? How does that transpire? Uh, Is the act booking the venue? Is the venue booking the act? How does that work here so it's a combination of both you know an act knows the cities that they want to go to because they know the demand for their artists based on past ticket sales based on airplay based on the number of people who downloaded their albums or streamed their music and then it becomes a a conversation between a promoter and an artist slash agent to go all right in this particular city What's the right venue for you? Some artists want to come in and do what they call underplays, where they come in and play a venue that's smaller than their demand so they can sell it out real fast and create a lot of hype. Some bands want to capitalize on that moment in time where they've got a hit song and they want to make all the money they can. So they put themselves in a big venue and try to sell it out. But it really comes down to the relationship between the artist and the promoter at that point to figure out which venue is the right vibe for that act. There are certain venues that work for certain acts and there are certain venues that don't work for certain acts. So, you know, take the Bay Area, for example. You and I both know country music is better outdoors. Yeah, it's just it resonates more outdoors, being on the lawn, being under the stars, everybody singing together, Um, being able to be, you know, communal on the lawn and not be stuck in a seat. So you can go hang out with 10 friends. I go hang out with 10 other friends. That doesn't work for every act. There are certain acts that want to play an arena. And the reason they want to play an arena is because the stage that they built has a massive catwalk, a thrust that goes all the way to the very back of where the, the, the house is in an arena. And they've got huge video screens and things that come out from the ceiling and drop down. You can't do all of that production in an amphitheater. Sometimes you need an arena or a stadium to do things like that. So there's a lot of factors that go into to, to where you play. It depends on what your stage setup is like, what kind of vibe you want with your audience, what you're trying to capitalize on based on how your music's doing, um, relationships with, with, with venues in the market, past history. 
So wow. it, it's not just a one size fits all on you just come in and you play this venue. And if you're trying to think about acts like that, I mean, think about think about what Garth Brooks plays. He plays stadiums and arenas because he has that stage and he wants to move all the way around. You don't see it as much in the country world. You, you see a lot of country acts will do the outside because it does play better. But the pop world, it, 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 it's right there. Ariana Grande is going to have a stage that's half the stadium. Uh, Taylor Swift yes. pretty much is going to have a stage that half the stadium. How much and again, I'm asking you to conjecture. Maybe you know, maybe you don't know. How much would one of those stages, like say, an Ariana Grande, just, I'm just conjecturing here. How much do, does that cost? <laughs> it varies wildly, but a lot. I can't give you an exact number, but I can tell you it's immensely expensive to do a stadium show because it's not just the cost of the stage. It's the cost of all of the people that you have to pay to build that stage. It's not just a, ooh, here's a stage, I'm going to hit a button and it pops up. There are hundreds and hundreds of people in those stadiums who are hanging from trusses trying to pull that thing up and connect all of the cords and run the lighting consoles and get everything all set up. It's, it's, a, it's a big endeavor. And the bigger the venue and the bigger your production, the more expensive it costs. Now, do they have, does each venue have their own crew that can set anybody else, uh, can, can set anybody up? Or does the act bring in their crew? Because I think people don't understand the difference. Combination of both. It's usually, it's usually a split. You've got your people on the road who know all of that equipment left and right because they're bringing it from city to city. And then you've got a group of people who are local who augment that touring team to come and do the nuts and bolts of putting things together and hanging things and, and, and getting stuff done. So it, it's probably a you know smaller crew on the road, a bigger crew local, but you definitely need both because you need someone who's an expert on every date to make sure that that production is the same on every single show because everyone you know is going to get the same show wherever they go from a production value standpoint. And then the local crews are the people who you can't afford to take 50 people on the road in production and, and, and put them in hotels or on buses. So you have local people who augment that, who live in the market and who are experts in doing what they do. I have always thought that, especially the touring, the touring crew, it's just me talking. It's just me as an opinion. That's got to be like the worst job in the world because it is, it is pure nothing work that just has to be done on a time frame. You know, somebody's asking you to build a house every day. And oh, by the way, you've got eight hours to do it. Yeah, but you know what? They're, they're, they're family. That bond with the touring crew is absolutely incredible. Look at Kenny Chesney's road crew. They are absolute family who take care of each other. They're excited to get there on the road. Kenny takes care of them. Everyone on that tour takes care of each other. And there's something that's just bonding about a group of people going all over the country, putting on music for everybody. And those, those, those road crew people know that their job is just as important as that person on the stage. That person on the stage can't do their job, their job, unless the people behind the scenes do their job. Wow. And it's changed so much at the time that you've seen it. Cause see, you were, you were this musical, I hate to say it, you know, geek, nerd, whatever you want. I, I, somebody, yep. cause I've had friends like that who, you know, like you're buying every album, you're listening to everything, you're going to the deep track. And, and I know people on radio heard that way. I honestly was never that guy. I was always the singles guy, more than happy to hear it. If I was going to buy an album, it was probably going to be a Richard Pryor album, just to be completely honest, <laughs> right? And I was going to buy a comedy album because that's that was my deep dives. But yeah. the fact that you were able to turn it in, and, and is, the, is the album dead? 
Is it dead anymore? I mean, does it, it, I see so many EPs now. You rarely see a Jason Aldean just released a, a two, a two record, you know, make in Georgia. You just, that's so rare to see. What do you I'm think? I'm encouraged by, by, by vinyl sales, which lets me think that people are starting to get back into that experience of listening to music. Yeah, it, it can be frustrating to look at, at some of the streaming platforms and go, oh, we've just created this instant gratification world where, you know, I want 15 seconds on TikTok. I want to look at a quick Instagram story. I want to listen to just the one track I want to listen to on a streaming platform. I don't want to spend the time to bond with something. I just want to consume as much as I can as quickly as possible. But I think that there are still a big subset of people who want to connect with music and who want to spend the time to get to know an artist. And that's what we need. We need more people to take the time. Um, But I think what's happened is previously when I started out in the business, artists went on the road to sell albums. That was, that was the reason they went on the road. They were trying to sell as many records as possible. And the concert was a vehicle to get people to buy the album. Now it's flips. Now, now, now those songs are what are getting people to go see them in concert. And so you're not sitting there listening to a 60-minute album before you go to the show, but you may go to that show based off of the single and hear that 60 minutes worth of music and go, wow, that's a really good song. I should actually go download that or stream that. Because they're, they're getting introduced to the music live instead of in advance. I... I have a theory about concerts and, and music oh. and that. I'm going to share it with you. But to take this quick break, I'll be right back with more with Aaron Shuda on Here's What We Know. So I want to tell you about our new sponsor, The Gym Guys. I have been working out with them for over a year now. It all started with a pandemic and there was no place to go. The gyms were closed, all that kind of stuff. I found The Gym Guys because they come to you. The commute is theirs. Isn't that one of the worst parts working out is you have to factor in the commute time? Not with the gym guys. And it's more motivating. It's one thing to say, I'm going to work out today. It's another thing if you know, like, I have Luciana coming over today at 11.15. I got to be ready for it. And then they change the workouts up for you. They give you an app. So when you're working out on your own, you know how to do it right and what you're trying to do. And they also give you access to a nutritionist. It's all there for you. You can take it as, you know, if you're just starting your journey or maybe you want to take your journey to the next level. Maybe we've got a contest on how you can win 100 free sessions with your friends and coworkers. It's at TheBiggestMover.com. TheBiggestMover.com. But you'll find the gym guys on the web. G-Y-M-G-U-Y-Z. Okay, here's my theory. I think concerts are better now simply because the acts what you said where it used to be all about trying to sell the albums that's where your big money was going to be now it's the concert thing so you want to make it such an amazing experience whether people listen to your song or not or buy your album that when you come back next year you're going to go dude that was such a great show i'm going back I, 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 when I sit back and look at all the things they do with concerts and how much effort that I see a lot of the acts put into it, I think, I think the concerts now to me are better. Concerts are the mind maker for the bands now. The, the, the revenue stream that artists receive from concerts um, it, it, it is larger than what they receive from recording music now. I mean, a, a giant tour is a massive windfall of money for an artist and not just for the artist, but for the crew they bring on the road 
um, which is a big part of why acts like to go on the road. They're, they're, they're connecting with their fans, but they're also, you know, helping their road crews keep their careers going. And you put on a good live show. I mean, look at Dave Matthews band. He's been touring forever because he puts on a fantastic live show and he has built his entire career being a live performance group, being known for people traveling around the country and going to every single show on a tour and following him around. Kenny Chesney does the same thing with his No Shoes Nation. They follow him around to shows. When you get known as a great live performer, that's 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 the best thing you can do. Then people people really connect with you. They build those memories with their friends together. You're a part of that as an artist. Well, and that's my thing. One of my points are, think about the last time you heard of an act leaving the stage because they were drunk or drugged up. And, and, and growing up when I did in the, the 70s, 80s, that happened a lot. Even into the 90s, it happened. But you never hear that anymore. No, you've got a lot of... Uh, You've got a lot of great acts on the road with great people around them, keeping them on a good path. And they know that, you know, you have to remember that back when you were going to shows or I was going to shows back in the beginning, there were no cell phones. There were no, you know, Instagrams and Twitters and things like that to upload every single moment you see at a show. Now, everything is scrutinized when an act gets on stage. Any video of them saying anything, doing anything, a fan doing anything, it's all publicly consumed because someone has a cell phone up recording something. So you got to be on your best behavior all the time because you're just in the public spotlight constantly. And that didn't used to be the case. Yeah, it's I, I just think it's such a different world. And yeah, you're going to they travel, especially in the country world. They travel with their nutritionist, their trainer, and most importantly, their families. Oh, man, I wish I had a personal nutritionist and trainer. I'd be in a lot better shape and I'd be eating a lot healthier and I'd probably live 15 years longer. Dude, you are I don't have the money for that, man. I have internal organs that weigh more than Aaron Shuda. He is the single thinnest <laughs> man and he can eat anything. He can literally eat anything. And in the uh, in the decades that I have known this man, he has never gained one pound. So shut up, you. There's a lot of walking that goes into these shows. A lot of hooking it around Shoreline, up and down, backstage to the concourse, back to the box office, and back to backstage again. I get my steps in, man. <laughs> I know this is going to be a short episode compared to what you guys are used to, but Aaron is so damn busy, and I just wanted to grab any time I have with him. Would you do this with me again? Can I reach out to you and schedule? Because I've got so many things I want to go down with you, but I know you've got things to do. We'll call it episode one of many. Absolutely. Yeah. Aaron Shuda, episode one of many. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Uh, I love you, my friend. See ya. Thanks for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe, download a few more episodes, and please leave a review. Reviews really help us get this out to more people like you. Also, we'd love to hear what your favorite part was. Be sure to join us on social media to engage in even more unexpected conversations. Until next time. Thank you.